Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining podcast. And today I'm talking to Murray McNabb. Um, who's the CEO of UMS Group, which stands for United Mining Services, um, and his colleague, James Keir, who's the Executive Manager for Engineering and Technical Services. Um, UMS are an internationally recognised mining and engineering group of companies providing technical, advisory and contracting services to the mining industry. Um, So in this podcast, um, both Murray and James will talk about UMS, and what services they can provide uh, to the industry. Um, And then I've got some questions that I'm going to ask them around shaft sinking and underground mining, sort of in general, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be uh, keen to know more about. So I'd like to welcome both uh, Murray and James. Uh, Hi, guys. Hi, Rob. How are you going? Yeah. Hi, Rob. Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, If there's a slight delay on this this recording, we're doing this over Skype. Um, the, um, both uh, Murray and James are based in Pretoria in South Africa. So um, apologies if there is a slight delay, but um, I'm sure the content will be uh, good and worthwhile. So to, to basically kick this off, I just want to, um, for both of you, just to give a brief background of, uh, of both yourselves. Um, and then we can then go into talk about UMS and what services uh, you actually provide. So maybe start with yourself, Murray. Um, well, I'll, James will do the introduction. Okay, yeah, James. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I'm mechanical engineer by qualification. Uh, I've worked in the mining industry for over 15 years, uh, previously in companies like uh, TWP, uh, Woolly Parsons, and a few other smaller EPCM contractors. I joined UMS last year to head up their engineering technical services uh, division and to grow the, the the company to offer more services under one umbrella to the, the mining and minerals sector. Yeah, and Murray? Uh, Rob, I joined the mining industry 36 years ago. Um, I worked for Goldfields as an engineer for 13 of those years. Um, and then went contracting, shaft sinking with a, a, a shaft sinking company after I had already been in the shaft sinking industry with Goldfields for 10 of those 13 years. I spent uh, just over two years with RUC, which is nowadays known as Marion Roberts in, in most of the world, but still known as RUC in, in Australia. And then I um, joined a consulting business. Um, and stayed with them for almost 20 years. It was TWP as one of their original directors. And um, and then just over a year and a bit ago, I joined uh, UMS Group um, and, and initially for, for METS, which we'll speak about a bit later, which is the engineering arm of, shops of, uh, of the UMS Group. 
and uh, recently took over as COO for the UMS group, looking after shaft sinkers and, and meds. So uh, that's that's my introduction. Yeah, no worries. So if you can, um, again, either one of you um, can just basically give an overview of the company, um, and maybe James, you're obviously a part of one company. If you just basically want to give an overview of what you guys actually do, what your companies do, obviously UMS are a company and you've got a group of companies underneath. So ever how you want to do it, Thanks, Rob. Um, UMS has basically been created because we identified a, a need in the industry for single point accountability and a one-stop shop to offer mining services. So through UMS, there's, we have our three divisions being METS Process, METS Mining, and Shaft Sinkers. Now, METS Mining does um, engineering from concept studies right through to execution and closure. Uh, in, We've got a design house, we've got engineers and project managers within the METS division. Then shaft sinkers would do all the, the contracting and the physical development of the mines, be it shaft sinking or sinking declines or lateral development underground as well. And then our METS process division does engineering and concept studies in the mineral processing um, sector. So with those three divisions, we can offer a concept to closure value chain with single point accountability to, to mining clients. So they don't have to go to several different companies to receive the service they can receive here in one place. Okay. And Murray, I suppose if you can give an overview of all the companies and obviously uh, an overview of UMS and what your strategy is in obviously moving forward, growing the business, um, and again, how you can help companies and maybe specific, uh, particular areas that you may be looking to grow further, um, how the company's gonna grow, maybe uh, types of companies that you might be looking, looking to uh, um, help and partner with. Um, yeah, so if you can give us an overview of that. Thank you, Rob. Um, UMS is, is a company that's based in the UK, um, but it operates out of uh, South Africa mostly, um, and it, it has businesses um, around the globe. We are currently expanding and always looking for partners, um, but they do contracts uh, in, in, in the East. Um, we're looking at uh, doing more contracts in Americas and then obviously Africa as we consider our backyard um, and we've done um, a lot of contracts around the globe over the years the company is is more than 60 years old and uh, was originally a, um, uh, a privately owned, well originally belonged to Anglo-American and some 20 odd years ago it became privately owned when it had a management buyout from Anglo-American um, it listed on the stock exchange. Um, I'm talking about shaft sinkers now. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and and then uh, delisted, and was acquired by UMS. Um, and the old original management, um, you know, over the years exited, and, and new management came in. Um, UMS owns the the intellectual property of of uh, Mets and shaft sinkers. Um, and has done so for, I think, the past five odd years. 
So um, UMS took it internationally on a, on a larger scale. And, um, and, and the business is continuously evolving uh, internationally as a result of the local requirements in the different countries. Um, so up in Africa, typically um, you will need a local partner and they're more than happy to do so, uh, to comply with the local regulations. And so they formed a lot of uh, JV type companies uh, for that and still continue to look in new, in new geographies for those, those partners, suitable partners. Um, and so we're happy to do, um, you know, work either under METs or under sharp sinkers with local JV partners. Um, we see that as uh, specifically not only an African requirement to JV, we see it happening now globally. Um, where the local requirements are that you use a bigger percentage of local skills uh, and develop and help develop those skills. I mean, more than happy to do that as well. Um, and ultimately, you know, leave a legacy of those skills behind in those in those countries. Um, shaft sinking is the main focus of both of these two companies. Um, and mineral processing is, is a new focus. It was introduced about two years ago into the business. But if you talk about shaft sinking, Rob, the, the focus is still primarily on, on blind sinking in the business. Um, and what we call blind sinking is, in other words, you, you don't have previous access. It's, it's virgin territory that you're going into. Um, and there's not a lot of people that um, you know, have businesses in that field. And so the competition is, is, um, is really limited. So for that reason, we, we, don't, we don't have any problem JVing with people. Generally, the JV partners bring something to, to the party that uh, would make the contract more uh, or, the, or the company more successful than just the shaft sinking skills. So that's the reason that we're actually more than happy to, to, to go in with JVs because we see them adding huge value to, to our company. Um, I think that's a, a, a broad introduction yeah. of, you know, we, how we see our business uh, going and our strategy around our growth. Yeah. So what would you say you could offer a company that wants to um, be a JV partner or be considered a JV partner with yourselves? Um, and how, how would you work with them? And what, like, what can you offer them as a JV partner? So we can add it on many fronts. We can add value to, to those uh, JV arrangements. Um, first one is in the design. Like I said earlier, um, these, these are specialist skills that, that require the design of a shaft, the costing, the estimating, the scheduling of a shaft, uh, the entire package to deliver that shaft. Um, and uh, I think you could name uh, all the companies that can do that probably in one hand in the, globally uh, or even less than a hand. So, um, you know, that we could offer a JV because we know that those skills just aren't all over the place. Um, there's the first part. The second part, within the design capacity, uh, we focus primarily on mineral processing plants that are of a modular um, design. And the reason for that is that most of the projects that we do um, are typically remote areas of the world. Um, and those, those remote areas provide specific challenges around accommodation, manpower, shifts, um, 
and, and generally the risks of working out in these remote areas are quite high. Um, so we, module, we, we design modular plants that are typically built um, in cities uh, where they're then transported and then quickly assembled on site, bringing down the, the site um, requirements considerably, some, sometimes by as much as 500%. So um, we, we're quite happy that we've got skills to, to bring to the, to the JVs or to new uh, countries, uh, specifically around modular process plants. And then in shaft sinking itself, shaft sinking has been, uh, has been uh, evolving over the years. Um, and I think we'll go into a bit more detail on that a bit later. But um, the history that shaft sinkers has of having uh, sunk more than 200 projects around the world, shafts around the world. Um, you know, we've got a lot of experience, current experience still within the company. We've got archived a lot of designs um, and methods, benchmarking, et cetera, et cetera. We could bring that to, to any JV arrangement and offer something that certainly not many of our competitors even could offer. Um, and, and so we think it would be a you know, very, very uh, beneficial uh, partnership. Yeah. So, I mean, how has shaft sinking changed over the years um, and what has sort of uh, driven this change? Well, well, shaft sinking has been around for almost 2,000 years, so I won't go back 2,000 yeah, years, no, Rob, yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> but what, I, what I would say is that the, the sort of typically over the last 50, 60 years, you know, the last two generations, um, there's been positive change and there's been negative change. Um, and, and we need to recognize both of those. And I'll speak firstly about the positive change. Yeah. The positive change has definitely been on the safety side. Um, uh, the safety has improved um, exponentially over the last sort of typically 20 years uh, and specifically over the last 10 years. Um, and, and so the industry had a terrible safety record in the past. It was basically, you, you know, you just advance at all costs. And I'm talking about human life costs here as well. Yeah. Um, because the bonuses used to be huge. Um, there was a lot at stake. Um, and they were driven by many aspects. It wasn't always greed that drove that kind of behavior. There was um, government pressures. Uh, the Cold War played a big role in the, in, uh, in, in the last sort of 50 years. And so we see, um, you know, safety played a, a very small part of that going way back. Over the last 20 years in particular, I will say safety has become the number one driving focus issue in the shaft sinking industry and it has driven positive change. Um, you know, you, you would very seldom hear of a shaft advancing more than 100 meters without a fatality sort of 25, 30 years ago. Um, today, you can sink uh, a twin shaft system and not have a single last time accident. That's how safety has improved. So a lot of social pressure as well, you know, from from uh, the, the or on the industry is to not hurt people. And it's just, you know, that's very, very positive. Um, certainly when I joined the shaft sinking industry, uh, the safety records are just horrendous. Yeah. And today I'm proud to say I've, you know, been involved in a couple of shaft sinking pro projects that haven't even had a single lost time incident. So we, we have, we must commend the industry in that part. The negative side of all of this is that the advance rates have deteriorated drastically. Um, and I don't, I don't put this purely on safety. I think there's a number of factors that have contributed to that. So we've, 
and you would be surprised by this because um, mechanization has increased in the shaft sinking business and, and yet I'm telling you that the productivity has decreased. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that uh, that I probably would, would, would just take a few minutes to expand on. But firstly, the, the work that used to take place was in the past was considered unsafe because you would do a lot of concurrent work and you'd work above people, and in many cases without any protection to the people below. Um, the methodologies that have now been adapted um, prohibit that from taking place um, unless people are 100% protected below you. So um, that that has obviously resulted in um, less people going uh, underground into the, the shafts because they can't all work concurrently but it has increased the skills level required. Um, so people had to be multi-skilled um, to be able to perform many different functions while they're underground um, in the shaft. And and those skills just don't really exist anymore. Um, and, and also shaft sinking is not considered one of the sexy, uh, sexy, it's not considered a sexy industry. So you don't attract uh, people easily into the business anymore. So it comes with a lot of challenges. Um, and that's why I say I don't, I don't blame safety as the, the reason for um, productivity decrease. I think it's a lot of other factors that have come in. So, so the, the things that have changed to sum it up is safety has uh, in, improved and productivity has decreased. The yeah. costs um, have um, not increased exponentially. Um, they've almost slightly above linear over the years. Um, with higher mechanization, uh, we would we would you know get get tons moved at a lower rate cost rate um, because you could move more tons. However, because productivity has come down, that's negated. Uh, that that positive is negated. So um, the industry has, has has come up with a lot of challenges. I think. Uh, there is uh, further changes that will take place that will improve the situation again. Um, and we'll talk about that a bit later as to what I see the future is um, yeah. in, in shopping. But I think that sums it up as to what I believe has changed. James, do you have anything to add on that? Um, I think, Murray, you said most of it in that um, there are still some places where we could probably get better and bring modular designs into the shaft sinking side so we can do changeovers from certain configurations quicker. And it's all about looking at the system as a whole and seeing how all the different activities integrate with each other and, and working on those connections and those relationships. And I think going forward, that's where further improvements will be found. Okay. What and this is probably more of a technical question. What are the current underground ore body um, access trends? Um, if, you, if you're going to access an ore body, you have a, a multiple um, access uh, methodologies that you can use. But primarily, if your ore body allows you, you do open cast mining first. Yep. That's the cheapest. Um, it doesn't always allow you to do that. If you don't have an outcrop coming to surface, you can't do that. But um, most geologists are looking for those surface ones. They're cheap to access, they're quick to get a return on your investment. And so that's the first prize. However, if that ore body then is mined out to an end of its economical life, 
and there's still all below that, then you've got a choice now, you go underground. Yeah. And you don't have to have a deep shaft to go underground. And you can, if the ore body allows you, to go down with a ramp or a, an a adit into the side of the, the pit. And that would be your, your first choice. Um, if that's not economically viable, you will then go with a short vertical shaft, typically 500 meters or less, to, to mine for the next five, 10 years. But if the ore body is huge, you'll go a lot deeper and you'll you're try and um, start it early enough so that you're still paying your way when you've got the open cost. So you've got a number of choices as you're going, selecting your, your methodology. However, when we talk about shaft sinking itself, and I spoke about blind shaft sinking, blind shaft sinking is you're going into virgin territory below the pit or from surface. Um, but if you've got an access below, you can raise bore and slide. That is still cheaper than a blind shaft sinking, yeah. generally speaking, and it's quicker. So you would then slide that, that shaft out from and drawing the chips out the bottom through an adit or ramp or somewhere else. Um, and that's how you would develop the shaft. Um, and, then you, and that's how they've been doing it for, for hundreds of years. Now we say, What's next? You know, how are you going to do this shaft after this? Is there a better way, a quicker way, a faster way? And that's what I was speaking about, uh, mechanized shaft sinking. Now, mechanized shaft sinking has also been around for a while, but mostly it's soft material, never hard rock. And there was a reason for that. Um, and the reason for that was there was no means of cutting this rock economically. Um, and then there was a challenge in how you remove these chips. You've got to vacuum them out, out of your system or pump them out of the system. Over the last few years, um, that has been solved to a large extent, and particularly over the last two, three years, um, we're going to see those machines coming onto the market, but they don't exist. So to go back to how these shafts being sunk and put underground, it's, it's either through adits and, and raised boring and uh, sliping or vertical shaft blind sinking. A lot of these shafts, that we, we do get involved with have twin shafts. There's a shaft for um, hoisting your ore out the mine and getting your material down the mine. And that uh, is normally a larger diameter shaft. Um, and then you have a ventilation shaft next door to that. And so sometimes you can have a combination of the methods I've just described. You can actually sink your main shaft first and then come back and, and, and raise one slope your vent shaft because now you've got underground access. Uh, but in most cases, we run them parallel down um, with a similar method, both of them. So you know, to answer your question, it's it's really courses for horses. Yeah. Um, and it's not only determined by the methodology that, that everyone's familiar with, but rather by the geology that's there and um, and the ore body type yeah. and mining type. Yeah. So what disruptive technology can uh, we expect to see in uh, underground or body access space um, over the coming years? Well, certainly remote control and robotics is something that is already in the mining industry. Uh, it's been slow to come into the shaft sinking industry, um, but we, disruptive technology is, is manless shaft sinking whether that be blind shaft sinking or any other type of shaft sinking. So we've we've seen a big move in that direction uh, through mechanization, which is obviously the first step of it, where uh, the very first shaft I got involved with uh, some 30 odd years ago was uh, had a crew 
of over 600 people sinking the shaft. Today, that very same shaft we do with 30 people. Right, okay. So there's been a, a big, big um, a move in mechanization to reduce the number of uh, man hours underground in a shaft. And we've seen that um, that trend continuing. So the next question then is, well, can you get rid of the 30 people? And, um, and when I say get rid of them, uh, there is a continuous drive to reduce man-machine interface and uh, man-underground interface um, because of the safety issues that I speak about. But one I haven't spoken about is, is the geology. So falls the ground, etc. The moment you've got people underground, you're always exposed to that. If you've got machines underground, you're still exposed to it, but you know it's no loss to human life. Um, and so the, there's a big move to take a me mechanization to full automation and then to robotics. And we see that that already happening. Um, there's a, two machines that we know of that have been developed that will blind sink a hard rock shaft. Um, and then there's already, uh, I think, five or six machines built that or have been able to do soft drop for a long time now in that direction. And they also are using less than sort of five people to shift. Um, that's what they're planning to do. So to go from 30 down to 15 is, is halving it. And then we see in the next five or six years after that, probably going down to zero. Okay. You can do examinations through cameras. Um, you don't need people to go underground. You can do all the rock support robotically, and that already is in the industry. Um, so we just see a big, big change um, brought about by this uh, this new age of, of robotics. And, I mean, where, where do you see shafts being sunk um, over the next few years, and, and, and why? Rob, the, there's... Um, or, or wherever there's minerals worth anything, people will want to mine them. It's as yeah. simple as that. And there's been a big drive um, to, to find those minerals all over the world, including the Antarctic. So um, it's a case of what is, what is the most economical uh, discovery. And that's where people will go mine it. It's really as simple as that. The money will follow it. Yeah. And, um, and so for us, in, in, we see um, the Africa as a whole receives very a small percentage of the exploration funding. Um, and Africa as a whole has probably got more than 50% of the, the world's mineral reserves, just purely because of the geology. So we see Africa definitely as is where shafts and, and uh, mining will take place um, economically. Um, it has its challenges, there's no doubt. Infrastructure is lacking and poor in most of these, most parts of Africa. Um, and I refer to power, um, water, and, and roads. Um, and then uh, politics, uh, Africa's politics has you know, not been kind to itself the last few years. Um, and that is improving. We see that improving almost on a daily basis. The number of war conflict zones in Africa is, you know, reducing by the day. So we see that as happening. Um, Europe um, is also uh, rediscovering its old resources. Um, you know, a lot of um, mines that existed in Europe in the early ages um, are being rediscovered, and, and we see that taking off. 
Uh, Canada has had a huge drive for the last five to, to ten years, um, and it doesn't seem to be stopping. And then Latin America is is um, is also uh, a few years ago, I think as recently as as five years ago, uh, only fifteen percent of Peru had ever been explored. Okay. So um, you know we 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 keep a keen eye on what the uh, geologists are doing and what they're finding. We keep a a very involved uh, eye on on uh, the feasibility studies and how they're ranking and where they where the money is going. Um, and so t- for me to just say to you, well, I've got the silver bullet and I can tell you exactly where the next you know shaft's going to be sunk, is impossible because it's it's really going to be globally. But yeah. Africa is has not had its fair share over the last 20, 30 years, due to mostly due to conflict and war and uh, mistrust. By the investors, and we see that's that, that changing rapidly. South America, similarly, uh, we see that changing. It still has both of them still have their challenges, um, and then the the kind of places is obviously the developed worlds where the infrastructure is very good, um, and robotics is now making it cost effective to get in there, um, and we'll we'll see certainly them not lagging behind. Yep, China. Um, it's had a huge drive. It's just sort of, it's been under the radar for most of the world. But I mean, they, they've made huge strides in, in their shafts and shaft sinking, um, putting in infrastructure for themselves. Um, typically, it was always in the coal industry there. But now we've seen it going into all other commodities as well. Um, and also there, that technology is spreading fast into Africa. Um, they've made, you know, their, their one belt, one road um, yeah. has made it possible for them to make penetrate Africa quite quickly. Um, and they're just quietly doing their own thing in the copper belts and in the cobalt world. And, you know, they're just going about their own business. Um, so Africa for me is definitely uh, somewhere to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Concluding. Um... Can you give us an overview of UMS and your strategy moving forward? What you're looking to do as a company over the next maybe five to ten years, um, and how you're going to obviously develop as a company um, around the world in obviously your specialization. Yeah. Okay, Rob. So if I if I told you that and <laughs> yeah. uh, competitors went to copy me, then I, it wouldn't be a very good strategy. But but there's no secret. I mean, we yeah. we're growing. We see that there is a very, very limited competition, um, and we see our, you know, our skills being in demand. Um, and certainly, uh, technically, we don't have any, any, um, any reservations as to where we're going to take this company going forward. We know that that we're going to be on the cutting edge, um, not on the bleeding edge, but we're going to certainly be on the cutting edge. Of, of, of technology. That's what's going to change the industry and that's where we're going to go. Yeah. Um, the, as far as where we're going to go, um, I think I've made it very really clear. We think Africa and, and parts of America is really a good place to, to go. Um, but effectively, it's going to be following the money. Yeah. Wherever the money goes, that's where we're going to go. And we're going to make sure that um, we set up to, to be successful in those countries and those geographies. Um, and then our, our, our strategy as a group um, is to partner with a lot of um, uh, companies that are, are better positioned in those in those geographies than ourselves, um, and and that we can add value to. 
Okay. Is there anything else you want to add, James? Uh, yeah, just going forward as well as part of the growth strategy is attracting the, the right talent. Um, talent is a, a major, major a challenge internationally. So part of the strategy of the company is to create an environment in which the young talent who are going to make all the, the breakthroughs going forward want to work. Um, and giving, creating an environment where people can produce good work, attract the good resources and the good talent and to keep them. And develop them. And develop them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah certainly. All right. Well, I'd like to thank uh, both of you guys, uh, Murray and James, for obviously um, explaining about um, UMC, uh, sorry, UMS, and also mm -hmm. obviously telling the audience about um, shaft sinking and obviously underground mining, because maybe a lot of people that are listening are probably more familiar with open open pit or open cut mining uh, and maybe not don't know too much about underground mining so um i'm sure they'll be uh, interested in uh, hearing this um if the audience wants to contact you um how can they go about doing that uh, rob i'm available on linkedin um just contact me via that it's probably the easiest way yeah and yourself murray Yes, so we, um, we, we are obviously in, in South Africa, um, which is our main head office, um, yeah. and our contact details are available on the net, yeah. um, and, and that would be the easiest, but um, both James and I are on LinkedIn. Yeah, okay, no worries. Alternatively, if you want to contact myself, if you want to ask Mario or James any questions, I'm happy to pass that uh, those messages on, and my email address is rob at mining-international.org. Um, so thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed uh, enjoyed this episode around underground mining. Um, appreciate if uh, you can share, continue to share these episodes on other social medias. Um, we want to again, like I've probably mentioned before, we want to get this this podcast out to all four corners of the world. Um, we're currently, as I'm recording this, in over 115 countries. Um, so. Want to push that out to further a few more countries. I believe there's about 192 in the world. So we've got a few more. We're nearly two thirds of the way there. So appreciate if people can share this podcast, share any um, reviews or share any posts that I put out there. Appreciate any reviews wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you can write a review, that also helps with the, uh, with the growth as well. Uh, appreciate any feedback as well. Um, on this episode and other episodes that you um, will listen to. So I hope you enjoyed that. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining!